0: Chapter One, Part Two of the Deluge, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K Hand. The Deluge, Volume Two by Heinrich Schenkewitz, translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter One, Part Two. A quarter of an hour later the four went out and repaired to the walls The trenches in the distance were sleeping the night was very dark How many men will you take asked Kordetsky of kmita? I? Answered pan Andrei in surprise. I am NOT a leader and I do not know the place so well as pan charnetsky I will go with my sabre but let charnetsky lead the men and me with the others I only wish to have my soroka go for he can hew terribly this answer pleased both charnyetsky and the prior for they saw in it clear proof of submission they set about the affair briskly men were selected the greatest silence was enjoined and they began to remove the beams stones and brick from the passage in the wall this labor lasted about an hour at length the opening was ready and the men began to dive into the narrow jaws they had sabers pistols guns and some namely peasants had scythes with points downward a weapon with which they were best acquainted when outside the wall they organized charnyetsky stood at the head of the party kmita at the flank and they moved along the ditch silently restraining the breath in their breasts like wolves stealing up to a sheepfold still at times a scythe struck a scythe at times a stone gritted under a foot and by those noises it was possible to know that they were pushing forward unceasingly when they had come down to the plain charnyetsky halted and not far from the enemy's trenches left some of his men under command of janich a hungarian an old experienced soldier these men he commanded to lie on the ground charnetsky himself advanced somewhat to the right and having now underfoot soft earth which gave out no echo began to lead forward his party more swiftly his plan was to pass around the entrenchment strike on the sleeping swedes from the rear and push them toward the cloister against janich's men this idea was suggested by kmita who now marching near him with sabre in hand whispered the entrenchment is extended in such fashion that between it and the main camp there is open ground sentries if there are any are before the trenches and not on this side of it so that we can go behind freely and attack them on the side from which they least expect attack that is well said charnyetsky not a foot of those men should escape if anyone speaks when we enter continued pan andrei let me answer i can speak german as well as polish they will think that someone is coming from miller from the camp if only there are no sentries behind the entrenchments even if there are we shall spring on in a moment before they can understand who and what we shall have them down it is time to turn the end of the trench can be seen said charnyetsky and turning he called softly to the right to the right the silent line began to bend that moment the moon lighted a bank of clouds somewhat and it grew clearer the advancing men saw an empty space in the rear of the trench as kmita had foreseen there were no sentries whatever on that space for why should the swedes station sentries between their trenches and their own army stationed in the rear of the trenches the most sharp-sighted leader could not suspect danger from that side at that moment charnyetsky said in the lowest whisper tents are now visible and in two of them are lights people are still awake there surely officers entrance from the rear must be easy evidently answered kmita over that road they draw cannon and by it troops enter the bank is already at hand have a care now that arms do not clatter they had reached the elevation raised carefully with earth dug from so many trenches a whole line of wagons was standing there in which powder and balls had been brought but at the wagons no man was watching passing them therefore they began to climb the embankment without trouble as they had justly foreseen For it was gradual and well raised in this manner they went right to the tents and with drawn weapons stood straight in front of them in two of the tents lights were actually burning therefore kmita said to charnetsky i will go in advance to those who are not sleeping wait for my pistol and then on the enemy when he had said this he went forward the success of the sortie was already assured therefore he did not try to go in very great silence he passed a few tents buried in darkness no one woke no one inquired who was there the soldiers of Yasnagora heard the squeak of his daring steps and the beating of their own hearts he reached the lighted tent raised the curtain and entered halted at the entrance with pistol in hand and saber down on its strap he halted because the light dazzled him somewhat for on the camp table stood a candlestick with six arms in which bright lights were burning at the table were sitting three officers bent over plans One of them, sitting in the middle, was poring over these plans so intently that his long hair lay on the white paper. Seeing someone enter, he raised his head and asked in a calm voice, "'Who is there?' "'A soldier,' answered Kamita. That moment the two other officers turned their eyes toward the entrance. "'What soldier? Where from?' asked the first, who was de the officer who chiefly directed the siege. "'From the cloister,' answered Kamita. But there was something terrible in his voice. Dephasis rose quickly and shaded his eyes with his hand. Kamita was standing erect and emotionless as an apparition. Only the threatening face, like the head of a predatory bird, announced sudden danger. Still the thought, quick as lightning, rushed through the head of Dephasis, that he might be a deserter from Yasnogora. Therefore he asked again, but excitedly, what do you want? I want this, cried Kamita, and he fired from a pistol into the very breast of Dephasis with that a terrible shout and a salvo of shots was heard on the trench De fosses fell as falls a pine-tree struck by lightning another officer rushed at kmita with his sword but the latter slashed him between the eyes with his saber which gritted on the bone the third officer threw himself on the ground wishing to slip out under the side of the tent but kmita sprang at him put his foot on his shoulder and nailed him to the earth with a thrust by this time the silence of night had turned into the day of judgment wild shouts slay kill were mingled with howls and shrill calls of swedish soldiers for aid men bewildered from terror rushed out of the tents not knowing whither to turn in what direction to flee some without noting at once whence the attack came ran straight to the enemy and perished under sabres scythes and axes before they had time to cry quarter Some in the darkness stabbed their own comrades, others unarmed, half-dressed, without caps, with hands raised upward, stood motionless on one spot. Some, at last, dropped on the earth among the overturned tents. A small handful wished to defend themselves, but a blinded throng bore them away, threw them down, and trampled them. Groans of the dying and heart-rending prayers for quarter increased the confusion. When at last it grew clear from the cries that the attack had come, not from the side of the cloister, but from the rear— just from the direction of the swedish army then real desperation seized the attacked they judged evidently that some squadrons allies of the cloister had struck on them suddenly crowds of infantry began to spring out of the entrenchment and run toward the cloister as if they wished to find refuge within its walls but soon new shouts showed that they had come upon the party of the hungarian janich who finished them under the very fortress Meanwhile, the cloistermen slashing, thrusting, trampling, advanced toward the cannons. Men with spikes ready rushed at them immediately, but others continued the work of death. Peasants, who would not have stood before trained soldiers in the open field, rushed now a handful at a crowd. Valiant Colonel Horn, governor of Kijipitsi, endeavored to rally the fleeing soldiers. Springing into a corner of the trench, he shouted in the darkness and waved his sword. The Swedes recognized him and began at once to assemble, but in their tracks and with them rushed the attackers, whom it was difficult to distinguish in the darkness. At once was heard a terrible whistle of scythes, and the voice of horn ceased in a moment. The crowd of soldiers scattered as if driven apart by a bomb. Kamita and Charnyetski rushed after them with a few people and cut them to pieces. The trench was taken. In the main camp of the Swedes trumpets sounded the alarm straightway the guns of Yasnogora gave answer and fiery balls began to fly from the cloister to light up the way for the homecoming men they came panting bloody like wolves who had made a slaughter in a sheepfold they were retreating before the approaching sound of musketeers charnyetsky led the van kmita brought up the rear in half an hour they reached the party left with Yanitch, but he did not answer their call he alone had paid for the sortie with his life for when he rushed after some officer his own soldiers shot him the party entered the cloister amid the thunder of cannon and the gleam of flames at the entrance the prior was waiting and he counted them in order as the heads were pushed in through the opening no one was missing save Janich. two men went out for him at once and half an hour later they brought his body for kodetski wished to honor him with a fitting burial but the quiet of the night once broken did not return till white day from the walls cannon were playing in the swedish positions the greatest confusion continued the enemy not knowing well their own losses not knowing whence the aggressor might come fled from the trenches nearest the cloister whole regiments wandered in despairing disorder till morning mistaking frequently their own for the enemy and firing at one another even in the main camp were soldiers and officers who abandoned their tents and remained under the open sky awaiting the end of that ghastly night alarming news flew from mouth to mouth some said that succor had come to the fortress others asserted that all the nearer entrenchments were captured miller sadofsky the prince of Hesse, count weihard and other superior officers made superhuman exertions to bring the terrified regiments to order at the same time the cannonade of the cloister was answered by balls of fire to scatter the darkness and enable fugitives to assemble one of the balls struck the roof of the chapel but striking only the edge of it returned with rattling and crackling toward camp casting a flood of flame through the air at last the night of tumult was ended the cloister and the swedish camp became still morning had begun to whiten the summits of the church the roofs took on gradually a ruddy light and day came in that hour miller at the head of his staff rode to the captured trench they could it is true see him from the cloister and open fire but the old general cared not for that he wished to see with his own eyes all the injury and count the slain the staff followed him all were disturbed they had sorrow and seriousness in their faces when they reached the entrenchment they dismounted and began to ascend traces of the struggle were visible everywhere lower down than the guns were the overthrown tents some were still open empty silent there were piles of bodies especially among the tents half-naked corpses mangled with staring eyes and with terror stiffened in their dead eyeballs presented a dreadful sight evidently all these men had been surprised in deep sleep some of them were barefoot it was a rare one who grasped his rapier in his dead hand almost no one wore a helmet or a cap some were lying in tents especially at the side of the entrance these it was apparent had barely succeeded in waking others at the sides of the tents were caught by death at the moment when they were seeking safety in flight everywhere there were many bodies and in places such piles that it might be thought some cataclysm of nature had killed those soldiers but the deep wounds in their faces and breasts some faces blackened by shots so near that all the powder had not been burned testified but too plainly that the hand of man had caused the destruction miller went higher to the guns they were standing dumb spiked no more terrible now than logs of wood across one of them lay hanging on both sides the body of a gunner almost cut in two by the terrible sweep of a scythe blood had flowed over the carriage and formed a broad pool beneath it miller observed everything minutely in silence and with frowning brow no officer dared break that silence for how could they bring consolation to that aged general who had been beaten like a novice through his own want of care that it was not only defeat but shame for the general himself had called that fortress a henhouse and promised to crush it between his fingers for he had nine thousand soldiers and there were two hundred men in the garrison finally that general was a soldier, blood and bone, and against him were monks. That day had a grievous beginning for Miller. Now the infantry came up and began to carry out bodies. Four of them, bearing on a stretcher a corpse, stopped before the general without being ordered. Miller looked at the stretcher and closed his eyes. Defossus, said he, in a hollow voice. Scarcely had they gone aside when others came. This time Sadovsky moved toward them and called from a distance, turning to the staff. They are carrying Horn, but Horn was alive yet and had before him long days of atrocious suffering. A peasant had cut him with the very point of a scythe, but the blow was so fearful that it opened the whole framework of his breast. Still, the wounded man retained his presence of mind. Seeing Miller in the staff, he smiled, wished to say something, but instead of a sound, there came through his lips merely rose-colored froth. Then he began to blink and fainted. Carry him to my tent, said Miller and let my doctor attend to him immediately then the officers heard him say to himself horn horn i saw him last night in a dream just in the evening a terrible thing beyond comprehension and fixing his eyes on the ground he dropped into deep thought all at once he was roused from his reverie by the voice of sadovsky who cried general look there there the cloister miller looked and was astonished it was broad day and clear only fogs were hanging over the earth but the sky was clear and blushing from the light of the morning a white fog hid the summit itself of Yasnogora, and according to the usual order of things ought to hide the church but by a peculiar phenomenon the church with the tower was raised not only above the cliff but above the fog high high precisely as if it had separated from its foundations and was hanging in the blue under the dome of the sky the cries of the soldiers announced that they too saw the phenomenon that fog deceives the eye said miller the fog is lying under the church answered sadovsky it is a wonderful thing but that church is ten times higher than it was yesterday and hangs in the air said the prince of Hesse. it is going yet higher higher cried the soldiers it will vanish from the eye in fact the fog hanging on the cliff began to rise toward the sky in the form of an immense pillar of smoke the church planted as it were on the summit of that pillar seemed to rise higher each instant at the same time when it was far up as high as the clouds themselves it was veiled more and more with vapor you would have said that it was melting liquefying it became more indistinct and at last vanished altogether miller turned to the officers and in his eyes were depicted astonishment and a superstitious dread i acknowledge gentlemen said he that i have never seen such a thing in my life altogether opposed to nature it must be the enchantment of papists I have heard said Sadowski soldiers crying out how can you fire at such a fortress in truth I know not how but what is there now cried the Prince of Hesse. is that church in the fog or is it gone though this were an ordinary phenomenon of nature in any event it forebodes us no good see gentlemen from the time that we came here we have not advanced one step if answered Sadovsky, we had only not advanced but to tell the truth we have suffered defeat after defeat and last night was the worst the soldiers losing willingness lose courage and will begin to be negligent you have no idea of what they say in the regiments besides wonderful things take place for instance for a certain time no man can go alone or even two men out of the camp whoever does so is as if he had fallen through the earth as if wolves were prowling around chenstehova i sent myself not long since a banneret and three men to Vailuni for warm clothing and from that day no tidings of them it will be worse when winter comes even now the nights are unendurable added the prince of Hesse. the mist is growing thinner said miller on a sudden in fact a breeze rose and began to blow away the vapors in the bundles of fog something began to quiver finally the sun rose and the air grew transparent the walls of the cloister were outlined faintly then out came the church and the cloister. Everything was in its old place. The fortress was quiet and still, as if people were not living in it. General, said the Prince of Hesse with energy, try negotiations again. It is needful to finish at once. But if negotiations lead to nothing, do you, gentlemen, advise to give up the siege? asked Miller, gloomily. The officers were silent. After a while, Sadovsky said— your worthiness knows best that it will come to that i know answered miller haughtily and i say this only to you that i curse the day and the hour in which i came hither as well as the counsellor who persuaded me to this siege here he pierced count Vihart with his glance you know however after what has happened that i shall not withdraw until i turn this cursed fortress into a heap of ruins or fall myself displeasure was reflected in the face of the prince of Hesse. he had never respected miller overmuch hence he considered this mere military braggadocio ill-timed in view of the captured trenches the corpses and the spiked cannon he turned to him then and answered with evident sarcasm general you are not able to promise that for you would withdraw in view of the first command of the king or of marshal Wittenberg. sometimes also circumstances are able to command not worse than kings and marshals miller wrinkled his heavy brows seeing which count vihart said hurriedly meanwhile we will try negotiations they will yield it cannot be otherwise the rest of his words were drowned by the rejoicing sound of bells summoning to early mass in the church of Yasnogora. the general with his staff rode away slowly toward Chenstohova, but had not reached headquarters when an officer rushed up on a foaming horse he is from marshal wittenberg said miller the officer handed him a letter the general broke the seal hurriedly and running over the letter quickly with his eyes said with confusion in his countenance no this is from poznan evil tidings in great poland the nobles are rising the people are joining them at the head of the movement is krzysztof jagotski who wants to march to the aid of Chenstohova. i foretold that these shots would be heard from the carpathians to the baltic muttered sadowski with this people change is sudden you do not know the poles yet you will discover them later well we shall know them answered miller i prefer an open enemy to a false ally they yielded of their own accord and now they are taking arms well they will know our weapons and we theirs blurted out Sadovsky. general let us finish negotiations with Chenstohova. let us agree to any capitulation it is not a question of the fortress but of the rule of his royal grace in this country the monks will capitulate, said Count Veyhard. Today or tomorrow they will yield. So they conversed with one another, but in the cloister after early mass the joy was unbounded. Those who had not gone out in the sortie asked those who had how everything had happened. Those who had taken part boasted greatly, glorifying their own bravery and the defeat they had given the enemy. Among the priests and women curiosity became paramount. White habits and women's robes covered the wall. It was a beautiful and gladsome day. The women gathered around Charnyetsky, crying, "Our deliverer, our guardian!" He defended himself particularly when they wanted to kiss his hands, and pointing to Kmita, said, "Thank him too; he is babinich Footnote: This name is derived from Baba, an old woman. And footnote: But no old woman; he will not let his hands be kissed, for there is blood on them yet. But if any of the younger would like to kiss him on the lips, I think that he would not flinch the younger women did in fact cast modest and at the same time enticing glances at pan Andrei, admiring his splendid beauty but he did not answer with his eyes to those dumb questions for the sight of these maidens reminded him of olenka oh my poor girl thought he if you only knew that in the service of the most holy lady i am opposing those enemies whom formerly i served to my sorrow and he promised himself that the moment the siege was over he would write to her and kaidiani and hurry off soroka with the letter and i shall send her not empty words and promises for now deeds are behind me which without empty boasting but accurately i shall describe in the letter let her know she has done this let her be comforted and he consoled himself with this thought so much that he did not even notice how the maidens said to one another in departing he is a good warrior but it is clear that he looks only to battle and is an unsocial grumbler End of chapter 1, part 2